Now, when it was reported to Sanballat and Tobiah and to Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent messages to them, saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? They sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to this report, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. There is a king in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these words. So come, therefore, and let us confer together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, but you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking... Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. One day, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his house, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, tonight they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Would a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him at all, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this purpose, to intimidate me and make me sin by acting in this way and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard heard of it, All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shenaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother 
Hanani, charge over Jerusalem, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, for he was the faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, The gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot, while the gatekeepers are still standing guard. Let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their watch posts and others before their own houses. This is, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Uh, I don't know if you caught some of those names in the Bible reading. I, I love that there's a prophetess called No Idea. <laughs> if you look at it, No Idea. Um, I, I haven't used it yet, but who's the shortest person in the Bible? Nehemiah. There's, there's funny names. And uh, Last week, uh, we looked at uh, dealing uh, with division, so opposition within the community of God. And the, the way that we looked as the solution to that was in how we view us. The solution to opposition within is in understanding how uh, we are viewed as the people of God. That is, we're uh, viewed as one body. We are not just a temple that God is building. Uh, we are one body that he's building. If you could switch to input number two on that thing, that would be fantastic. Uh, so this week, uh, we're looking at dealing with opposition from outside of the people of God. So how do we deal with opposition that comes from without? Now, kids, listen in closely at the start, because I'm going to give you the, the big key points right at the start. The mark of Christian maturity is the ability to discern between good and evil. The mark of Christian maturity is not that you know lots of things, you can quote lots of things, you know all the Bible stories. The mark of Christian maturity is the ability to discern between good and evil. That is, what is of God and what is not of God. What is of God and what is of the flesh. Just something that's come from within us, our own thinking, our own desires. What is of God and what is of the world? What is good and what is evil? That's the mark of Christian maturity. Now, a child could know that. And so the entry point to being a Christian is that, can a child do this? <laughs> Descend between good and evil? Yes. Know everything in the Bible? No. Know Jesus? Yes. So the marks of Christian maturity are actually accessible to children. And so that's why Jesus is able to say to us, be like little children. Because the kingdom is open to everyone of every age. In Hebrews it says this, it says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need uh, milk not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so Hebrews gives us this picture of these basic things we need to know as Christians. We need to know about the grace of God. We need to know about how that changes us, our new identity in Christ, that we are transformed people, that we are made righteous before God. These are core things to us being a Christian, that we are free from 
sin, but then to go on to live in this world, you need to be able to distinguish between what is of God and what is not of God. That is, how can I walk in God's good plan for me rather than walk in the way of the world or the way of the enemy or the way of our fleshly desires so that I can participate in God's good work instead of participating in just the ways of the world or the ways of the enemy. And so the mark of Christian maturity is that ability to see what God's doing and follow Jesus in it. Now that's something we can do whether we're a child or whether we are an adult. We can follow Jesus and his way for our lives, discerning between good and evil. So mature discernment, though, flows not just from a place of I know things, I can discern things, I'm that sort of person. No, it flows from intimacy with God where we don't just know about him, but know him and therefore can discern what is not him. Uh, When I know someone really well, I know their voice. You you speak to someone on the phone and you go, oh, they don't have to say their name, you know their voice, you know when it's them. Uh, Sometimes when you buy a present for someone, and you know them really well. You know what suits them because you know some of their character. You know their identity. When someone does something, you go, oh, that was so like Katie. That's something that she would do. That's something that she would say because you know them. And so to discern between good and evil is about us knowing God because we know how God works in this world because we understand the character of God and we understand how he expresses himself And so when we are closely connected to God in in prayer through reading his word, the the basic Christian disciplines, we build this knowledge and understanding of God that enables us to live in this world such that we can discern what is of God and what is not of God. Something good but not God can be discerned by someone that knows what is God's will. One of the ways that we clearly see this expressed is in the Fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, joy, love, kindness, goodness, self-control. We see God's fruit displayed where he is at work. And so knowing God is about growing in discernment through intimacy with God. Now, discernment often is framed as, I have some discernment. And it comes across really judgmental. But actually, true discernment just points people where God's at work and where God's not at work. It's not about judgment and saying, looking down or pointing down. It's just pointing out what God's wanting to do. And so pointing people away from the ways of the world, the way of evil, towards where God's going. Because if you continually tell someone, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, you can't touch that. Uh, Holly, you, you can't go into that room. What do you want to do, Holly? You want to go into that room, you want to touch it, you want to discover why it is that you're not allowed to touch it. But when you point someone to what is good, what is of God, then they want to go towards what is good because they uh, see resonated in your pointing to what is good that your relationship of intimacy expressed and they want some of that. The three things, this is like your, your slide, kids. Three things. Maturity is shown through discernment. Discernment flows from intimacy with God. The key to dealing with opposition is discernment. You see, in Scripture it says our war is not against flesh and blood. But the principalities, the powers, 
that are at work in this world. That war is not with people. And we often see people as opposition, but the, the key to dealing with opposition is actually discernment. See where the enemy is working. See what God's wanting to do. See, wherever there is opposition, wherever there is a problem, God has a solution. But we need eyes to see his solutions rather than just looking at problems that we see and going, there's big problems. Because when we look at problems, we just head towards more problems. But when we look to God, we head towards the solutions that he has for us. And so I could stop my sermon here. And if you got these three points, (laughs) that would be enough for me this morning. Uh, Sometimes messages I find when, when I preach to two services in a row, particularly for one service, Last week's message I felt was particularly for 9am. This week I feel this is a a message particularly for us at 10.30. So listen in and let's look to the example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an example of godly maturity, what it looks like and how it could be lived out in this world. He encounters meetings that are a trap. Come to the plain of Ono. Come out to this plain and let's just have a chat. Now, we we look at that and go, "It's, it's obvious. You wouldn't go, of course you wouldn't go there out to the plain of Ono. Like it's obviously a trap, but that's because we've seen the guys and we know the guys. But Sambalad and Tobiah, they weren't just any opposition. They were charismatic leaders who'd figured out to get the people of Jerusalem into their pocket such that there were leaders within Jerusalem that would have said to Nehemiah, oh, they're actually not such bad blokes. You know, he gave me a good deal on the rent last week. And there would have been a sense of a narrative within the community that Tobiah and Sambalat weren't all that bad. But Nehemiah had the discernment to understand what was going on and he just deflected it and didn't go out with these meetings that are a trap. Now, if he went out of these meetings, it likely he would have been ambushed, he would have been killed. And so Nehemiah displays great wisdom and maturity in discerning that. To us, it seems simple, but to him on the ground, I think it was probably more complex than that. Then he gets a letter that realized that he's not an easy pushover, that he's not going to be arrogant and now that he has walls and suddenly step outside the walls. So they send him a letter with a threat. Now, if you've read Ezra, which forms the, the two parts, Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they sit together. Ezra actually has some examples in it of letters that have been sent before. See, this letter that they're threatening to send isn't the first letter. In Ezra 4, we read of letters that were sent to King Artaxerxes, and the letters to King Artaxerxes were were sent saying, these people of Jerusalem are rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the walls. Do you know who these people of Jerusalem are? Look in your history books And if you look in your history books, you'll find that these are an obstinate and rebellious people who will not bow down to you as king. You need to stop them building this wall. Otherwise, they will establish themselves and they'll cause problems within this Persian kingdom. So the king Artaxerxes received this letter, put a stop to work, because he looked through the history books and he found out that the people of God were actually not the kind of people that would bow down to him as king. In fact, it was true. They had been a rebellious people and refused to bow down to any Babylonian or Persian king and they had to be carried out of Jerusalem. So he looked at the history and saw that it was right and put a stop to building. 
Now, Zechariah and Haggai, you've probably heard of those minor prophets in the Old Testament. They prophesied, it's time to begin again. It's time to begin again. It's time to begin rebuilding the wall. I I think that Zechariah, Haggai um, prophecy, just as I speak it now, is something for us. It's time again. It's time to give it another go. But for them, it was, it's time to rebuild the wall. It's time to give things that you've tried in the past that have failed another go. Because it's God's time. And so Zechariah and Haggai begin to uh, encourage the people of God and they begin to build the wall again and then another letter is sent. And the letter says, they're doing it again. They're rebellious people. You've got to shut them down. But the people, uh, the Jewish people send another letter and say, well, actually, the only reason we're building is because King Cyrus issued the decree. And because King Cyrus issued the decree, we are building. And he looks through his history books and he goes, well, I've got this other letter saying they're doing it again, but actually it was a decree of Cyrus that enabled them to do it and so they can be it built. And so this is where we hit Nehemiah. They've finished the temple and they're doing the walls. And so letters have come before and letters have been incredibly disruptive to the people of God. And so now they're threatening another letter. If it wasn't for Nehemiah's discernment that this was actually just a a false uh, claim that they were writing a letter and going to go and spread lies to the king, he could have easily been caught up with fear again, spread that narrative of fear which was really strong amongst God's people. And as a result, they would have stopped building the walls and that was their aim. But Nehemiah discerned what was happening and called them out, called their bluff, and was able to continue. Well, the next way that they challenge him is with the prophet Shehemiah. And the prophet Shehemiah has been bought out by God, bought, sorry, bought out by Sambalat and Tobiah to give what is proposed as a message from God, that the enemies are coming. Be fearful, be really afraid, because these enemies are coming, they're they're going to cause you trouble. You need to go and shut yourself in this temple. And if you shut yourself in this temple, you will be protected. Meet with me there in that place. Now, we know that actually as governor, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't meant to go in the temple. So they were encouraging him firstly to, to disobey God, to go into a place where he wasn't meant to actually be out of fear, and then they were positioning themselves to then be able to spread an ongoing narrative of fear. This fearless leader that you thought you had is actually a fearful person and he's not able to lead you to safety because, see, he himself is afraid. And Nehemiah is reminded and strengthened by God's commissioning. He sees straight through it. He perceives what they're up to and, as a result, doesn't buy in You see, sometimes someone can say to you, this is a message from God. This is God at work. And they can get it wrong. You see, Scripture says whether when a prophet has a word, two or three should confirm it. What does that mean? It It means that sometimes people can get what they think is from God wrong. Sometimes people can manipulate you by saying, this is a message from God, when it's not. He has the discernment 
Nehemiah to understand this message wasn't from God. It's not of God. Part of that discernment, uh, let me walk you through it, comes from that what does what is said produce in me? See, the function of, of, of prophecy is for encouragement, strengthening, and comfort. So if what someone says is from God doesn't cause you to be encouraged, strengthened, or comforted, it's probably not from God. If it doesn't produce a fruit in you like love, peace, joy, then it's probably not from God. And so we as Christians with the Holy Spirit can understand what is of God and what is not of God. And that comes through a maturity of working things through in relationship with God. In the face of this opposition and these letters, instead of them getting what they wanted, uh, Nehemiah said, they wanted to frighten us, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. What does he recognize? He recognizes even for him as a strong leader with a great faith in God, he needs God to strengthen him in order to be able to Uh, do what God's called him to do. So that verse 6.12, then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him at all. Then I perceived, then I saw, it's a spiritual scene, it's a spiritual understanding. It's not just that things don't look quite right. It's a spiritual knowing and a spiritual understanding that we can grow in. See, the gifts of the Spirit are not something... Not all, not all the gifts of the Spirit are you've just got this gift or you've not got this gift. Uh, Paul says, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. There's a desiring, there's a growing, and there's a strengthening in, in all gifts that happen. And Nehemiah is a great example of someone who has grown strong in discernment. So the walls are completed in about October 456 B.C., in 52 days. <laughs> That's a short timeline. 52 days, they suddenly have walls around them. They don't have, quite have gates. And the fruit of that is the enemies were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem. Tobiah and Sambalat and the, the enemies have managed to overlord for many years and discourage. And suddenly, they perceived this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Suddenly they realized that actually, as much as they thought through their prosperity, God was on their side. God was actually on the side of Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem. They perceived, that is the Spirit of God revealed to them that God was at work here. That they'd done what they did with the help of God. So how does this passage, how uh, does Nehemiah 6 apply to us? What does it give us other than discernment is a really good thing for us as Christians? I think it gives us some some encouragement. When when I look at our church, uh, we've spent the last uh, maybe 30 years in just a gradual decline with some ups and downs. And in looking at that, we can go, I don't know. Is it just the trajectory we're on? Can God do it? Uh, We've had some really great leaders in the past who've done great things and gathered people and encouraged people. I was really encouraged this morning to have Ernest Horth came along to our our 9 a.m. service. I didn't know it was him when I I preached, and so it was good to uh, not 
know that at one level. Uh, but he recognized when I spoke to him on the phone that this place has been in decline for a while. And he did some great work to uh, sustain and strengthen the church and reposition the church uh, for the future. But we look at it and we can go, well, can God really do it? Is God really at work? Can God really rebuild our walls? Can God do it? See, for us as Christians, it's not just a question of what can Randall do as a new leader? What can we do uh, that feels successful? Some of the things that we can do that feels successful is put on a big event where lots of people come and we can feel like we're being successful. We could put on a, a fete and sell lots of stuff and raise lots of money and feel like we're being successful. But the, the measure of success for us as a church, is that we are producing mature disciples of Jesus, that those who don't know Jesus are coming to know Jesus and growing their faith in Jesus. Those who do know Jesus are stepping more and more into a place of maturity where they can lead others to know Jesus and others to a place of maturity. And so the the measure for us is that we would be more and more the church that Jesus imagined when he says, I will build my church. Not that we would run events and feel successful because we have lots of people, but that we would see disciples grow to love and know God and to see God at work in their lives and other people's lives, knowing that God is real. And so the question for us is, God, can you do it? And I believe... uh, Like Zechariah and Haggai said, it's time to give believing another go. Things that we've tried that haven't worked, we try again. And in the the middle of that, we say, oh God, strengthen my hands. You see, when we try things and they don't go well, or we try things and they kind of fizzle or die out, we can get wearied by that. But God's Spirit wants to refresh and renew us, that as his people, we would realize that, can God do it? Well, the answer is, of course, God can do it. As we, as a group of people, grow to discern what is God up to and how can I be involved in that? Now, when you look at the wall, and the the wall is a large wall with lots of sections, it's, it's the same for us. We could look at the many things that we could do as a church and go, too much work to do. It's not possible. But Nehemiah did in 52 days what generations had tried to do and couldn't. So we can look at all the things and go, that's not possible. But when we look at the things and we're directed together to share in the challenge together of what God is calling us to do as one body, when we share and are pointed because we can discern what God's up to, not what is just good, what God's up to, then we'll see God work and we'll realize that he can do it. And as we realize that he can do it, our hands are strengthened and renewed. Now, in the middle of that, there's opposition within, there's opposition without, because would the enemy want us to rebuild as a church? Would the enemy want us to have fresh life and uh, new missional opportunities with the people around? Of course not. The narrative for us is not so much fear. The narrative for us can become discouragement. 
And the way God wants to work is to break us out of discouragement as we look forward to what God can do amongst us and through us, with us, as his people. A people fully committed to being who he's called us to be as St Barnabas, as his church here.